Hello, welcome to the JSI podcast series. Uh, today we would be discussing about the China-Pakistan nexus and its geopolitical implications for India. In light of the recent events, the, the 2020 China-India border skirmishes, which are a part of an ongoing military standoff between India and China, uh, both the armies both the countries have been in a standoff since May, since the 5th of May, 2020. Chinese and Indian troops have reportedly engaged in aggressive means. Um, this is uh, the. This is, I think, after 45, uh, after many years since um, India and China have engaged in um, violence at the border, and um, many defense analysts. Uh, reputed defense analysts like Wing Commander Prafal Bakshi and um, uh, Colonel Ajay Shukla, Shukla have claimed that this is the largest loss of territory since the war of 1962. Uh, therefore, it is important to ponder on the implications for India. Um, <clears throat> So let us now start. Uh, today, I'm go we're going to be having a conversation. Uh, I'm going to be having a conversation with Professor Dr. Sripati Narayanan and his views about the, the China-Pakistan nexus and its implications for India. Um, so the first question being that, oh, um, that is the current Indian government doing enough to counter the Chinese threat? Um, so, or, or is it the notion that we are politically weak? Um, the Indian government has been somehow hiding facts from the public uh, about the recent border skirmishes. Is it because they um, are they afraid of the Indian public uh, rea reacting? Uh, are they expecting a strong reaction, or um, they are trying to re-equip? Or um, you know, um, rearm so that they can um, engage in a full-fledged conflict with China. So, um, Professor, what do you think? Uh, do you think um, we um, is it um, uh, is this right, or what are your views on this uh, question? Thank you, Shreed, for having me. And I must say that your first question seems to be longer than my regular question paper. Uh, <laughs> but if you really look at, I know you talk about much about the current standoff and how things are going because uh, enough and more people have, uh, have already spoken about it and people with far better knowledge have already written and spoken about it. And I'm quite certain everyone has uh, read and heard more than about it, more than enough of this. But taking your question of the issue of information and sharing of information, well, there are a couple of things and the, and the nature of conflict for the Chinese threat. Uh, the, the thing is that the Chinese threat has to be seen at multiple vectors. The border is in that, in a very strict sense, is not a threat because for, for 17 years, we've had this border dispute. We did go to war in 62, and then we have had a re repeated set of standoffs, including the 67 
Chola incident where the Chinese uh, military tried to uh, infiltrate and they got a pretty good response from the Indian Army, which was basically uh, a payback for 62. What happens is that most of us get stuck with the 62 mindset and forget what has transpired between them. And we, we are uh, having this 62 war uh, defeat mentality. But with respect to your specific question of um, no, sharing of information, well, the actual issue between India and China with respect to the border is a complicated dispute because it is not a single border you're talking about. You're looking, look, talking about a border which is basically split into two. The eastern sector, which is Arunachal Pradesh, and the western sector, which is uh, Ladakh. Arunachal Pradesh was directly ad administered by British India, whereas Ladakh was part of the Maharaja Hari Singh, the erstwhile princely state of JNK. Yes, sir. And these two sectors, the historical reference, the documentations, have a lot of questions. Like, there are a lot of questions being raised. Both parties take claims based on past documentation. But if you really look at the terrain, or past historic uh, antecedents. But if you really look at the terrain, it is sparsely populated. And given zero population, there is hardly any physical presence of government at any given point of time along the length of the border. Uh, that is one. And if you take the, and the, from the border dispute, a lot of things have evolved. Today, if you really look at India-China relationship, at one level, it is a global power, power play as to who has to be the next big boy in the region. After the end of the Cold War, and this was a blessing in disguise that during the Cold War, much of the world yes. paid, paid obedience to either the Soviet Union or to the United States. Yes, sir. And there was always a fight between who's, the, who's more loyal than the king. Yes. Or who, that is now in, the, in a, in a post-Cold War era, Everyone is looking at okay, why can't I fill, fill the vacuum in the world stage, if not completely, even partially, or even specifically yes. a political geographical space. And that dispute is uh, that game is, is slightly different from the border dispute. Yes. Along with this dispute, you have got this um, notion of the string of pearls and Chinese encircling India, uh, yes. the Belt and Road Initiative which have got serious political implications because on the Pakistani side, it crosses, it discrosses uh, JNK, uh, P, not JNK, POK, and which is a dispute with India. And that, and given all these three things, the border dispute, uh, global power politics, BRI, and the notion of encirclement or Chinese trying to contain India and the Chinese military presence in Indian Ocean, these three uh, things when you look together changes the entire narrative and perspective to the dispute or to the yes. issue. But if you look if you look at the three of them at three different issues, then we may get a slightly different perspective. Yes. On your second oh. question on the respect to information and everything. Well, um, historically uh, both sides have got some information, not complete information on the border. Both sides make claim on the border on what is that they have. And there is also some specific and significant lacunas and gaps in whatever yardstick yes. uh, they use to stake claim on the border. Yes. That is, if you take in the case of 
Pakistan. Yes. There is no historical uh, dichotomy on that. The only issue is whether the treaty, uh, the instrument of accession signed by Maharaja Hari Singh is valid or not. India considers yes. valid. Pakistan considers it invalid. But the territory yes. that was administered by Maharaja Hari Singh is not disputed. It is only yes. his signature which is really disputed, not the princely state of Jammu and Kashmir. And what yes. and that all what has been inherited uh, now and what is now the political and the security landscape of South Asia vis-a-vis India and Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, sir, for uh, addressing this question. Um, uh, you answered it very beautifully, and you know, many many of our students will thoroughly enjoy listening to it as well. Um, you know, many um. Like, um, you know, the notion, there's a notion which is going around, there's a rumor and many Indians think that, you know, it's not the same India as uh, 1962. You know, India, the Indian army is much stronger and even the, all the three forces are much stronger than they were in 1962. Yeah. Um, uh, we can, um, many, and many Indians are uh, under are hoping that, you know, if there is a confrontation, if there is a full-fledged war with uh, China and Pakistan, India will be able to um, counter both of them and take both of, uh, take both of them head on. Um, but, you know, I think we should not, um, you know, we, it's a, it's a, we, we should not really, you know, think about this in this manner because, um, you know, it's not the same China as well. China is much stronger than uh, uh, since it's um, since 1962 as well. It's um, it's a force to reckon with in the 21st century. And uh, in fact, uh, even the um, many, many defense analysts even believe that, uh, you know, um, even the U.S. would uh, think twice before um, engaging in a conflict with China. Uh, because uh, the way uh, the recent news reports, etc., stated that China built an aircraft carrier within six months, which is uh, which means a great deal, and uh, it sends out a very strong message to the world, and uh, it's, it's a, indeed a force to reckon with in the 21st century. So, Professor, how would you like to respond to that? Well. Uh... Starting from 1962, well, uh, I think we should put an end to discussing 1962. There are a few yes. historical lessons that everyone has to learn from various dimensions, the military from tactical, the respective states from strategic, preparation, everything. But I'll just have to say that the world, this is not the world of 1962. And to be very blunt to the extent of maybe even um, offending a few people, Half the world was not born in 1962. Yes. And those who are alive in 1962 are either dead or, or have got one feet in the grave. <laughs> Very true, sir. So, so, so talking about 62 is a different world. Today, when you're looking at an issue of conflict, it is very difficult to have the conventional state versus state war. The last major state versus state war would have been the eight-year Iran-Iraq war of 1980-88 or the Ogaden war between Ethiopia and uh, Somalia. 
after that you don't have conventional state wars which was which was the uh, landmark of european history which ended yes. with the two world wars uh and if you look at the way the cold war started and the world post cold war there has always been a conflict <clears throat> armed or unarmed but never a full fledged war as the world comes to understand and understands war one uh so when you're looking at a conflict today the challenges and issues of conflict are quite varied from the past in the past victors were decided in the battlefield it was like a game of chess today you can have a conflict without a bullet being fired yes decide who has won and who has lost um the classic example would be the uh, 1999 kargil conflict true sir, very true by all by most military historians and uh, military records is still known as a conflict and not a war and that itself shows the nature of uh, issue the challenge but if you uh, look at the current standoff what has been the cost what has china achieved apart from loss of territory which a lot of analysts and um, uh, scholars have uh, alluded to is that in the past few months we have gone on a rapid uh, uh, shopping spree of arms whether it be like 33 aircraft from russia or uh, 72000 uh, carbines from the uh, from uae or uh, trying to buy uh, drones from israel and uh, missiles from israel if you really look at it or even the fact that today we are augmenting our capability in the region by deploying additional troops which means that additional logistics additional food winter clothing and the entire uh, back chain of war fighting someone has to foot the bill and what is going to be the cost that economic cost on a, on countries whose now focus is no more on the old westphalian concept of sovereignty which means territory but today like the most governments attitude and outlook is development and progress issue yes. sovereignty and territory are no more as critical when it comes to issues of economics and development yes and well being of people So, so when you really look at the conflict, it's like, what is going to be the cost of conflict? Yes. And therefore, how many people are willing to foot the bill? How many people are willing to know yes. actually? Uh, when you when you sit and do the mathematics, how many of them will actually <clears throat> are willing will, will be willing to pull the trigger? Yes. So, so that is something which uh, the world has to ponder about. True, sir. I think. Uh... it's uh, you very rightly stated that you know you one can engage in non conventional or conventional war without a bullet being fired it's uh, very true but uh, you know uh, now that we think about it um, you know you know like coming back to the point about the china pakistan nexus we have been reading news reports and in fact um, it's uh, it's been it's been coming up on and off that um, you know we of course know about china's investments bri the the building of the gwadar port in pakistan and um, even the fact that we've read the we've read this uh, it's gone to this extent that china is about, is might or might not construct um, is close to constructing a military base in pakistan so this how detrimental do you think this can be for india because you know 
with the ensuing pandemic and economic crisis you know if if at all you know it breaks a full fledged war or a conflict breaks out with the with the three nations do you think india is prepared well we talk about the china pakistan nexus um well again like the this india china relationship from 2020 we are looking back at history we are not doing a chronological study or uh, survey of way the relationship evolved from the beginning so china pakistan's bilateral relationship at one level was uh, very in the uh, beginning was uh, the regular diplomatic ties between states if you look at the role of role that china has played vis-a-vis india pakistan relationship it has been nothing really significant nothing really to talk about in fact to allude to history in none of the conflicts in either whether it be 1965 war 1971 war or in 99 kargil uh, conflict or even in 2001 parakram uh, uh, military stand off where the indian military mobilized after the attack in the indian parliament on december 13 uh, the chinese military are not really uh, was entangled on the himalayan border <clears throat> so when you're looking at the nexus and and if you're looking at a concept of a two front war what have the chinese actually done on ground very little but if you look at yeah. the kind of military assistance and diplomatic assistance that is a different ball game on diplomatic assistance yes uh, the chinese regularly veto or uh, anything that is against pakistan and more often than not it is detrimental to our interest and quite often they yeah. they try to uh, no move in a resolution or try to create some kind of a uh, disturbance in uh, i would say disturbance but some kind of an unease for india in international bodies uh, at the bidding of pakistan in fact after the application of 370 last august uh, the chinese yeah. were trying to move a resolution in the un uh, which was which was basically uh, towing the pakistani line but that being yes. that, but that is a different level of politics because if you look at the past or even now in international fora in the un or anywhere else you do have states voting or or taking a stand which is quite diverse from 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 that bilateral relationship in the past uh, the soviet union was a reliable friend for india in the un when it came, when it came to dealing with veto even though we were not part of the soviet camp and we did express our reservation on a few so policies of the soviet yes. union uh, quite discreetly but not as vociferously as others would wanted and vice versa on multiple issues uh, nations vote differently but when you look at military ties uh, that is a interesting phenomena because uh, it is a no brainer that the pakistani uh, missile and nuclear program is in extension of the chinese yeah. plan very true uh, there are very few people who wish to think or believe otherwise yes the only thing they are willing to debate is the extent of involvement yes and the details of involvement that even if you look at the way the uh, chinese have played that out how has that really influenced anything we still have yes. to deal with pakistan yes 
just because pakistan's military is better doesn't mean that we are our issue with uh, pakistan is no more in fact after pakistan got uh, became a nuclear armed state though not officially declared till the turn of the uh, century um yeah they opted for a zero option war which is basically the terrorism and uh, uh, yes a proxy war proxy war which is zero cost for them for which True, they the price and our yes. with respect to terrorism is still with respect to pakistan we are not talking about the chinese angle very true so that's what uh, when you look at issues of bri or chinese investment in gwadar or its current development in pakistan or even the rumors that are of the prospects of the chinese developing bases in pakistan how much of it is for pakistan how much of it, how much of it is it is it for bri yes and today if you really look at it is that is bri a threat to india or a headache for both pakistan and china yes when you really look at it is that china pakistan nexus i'm not talking about a question of two front war what happens if india and pakistan go to war and we blow blow the cpec road who's going to suffer yes is pakistan going to suffer most yes. cpec is blown or china and i think this is just a thought i'll i'll leave it in the air for others to think about it uh, but when you really get a two front war as i said in the previous question concept of warfare has changed today how many countries can yes. really afford a war very few i mean yes. about three nuclear armed states or uh, the threat of escalation always looms yes and if you really look at the nature of standoff between india and pakistan india and china yes it has always been on the ground with with a few hundred men it has never become a rapid mobilization of the entire army yes so if you really look at the, the, the standoff the media and the way it is portrayed may be big but on the ground the number of people involved is minuscule and both countries have been very careful <clears throat> to ensure that the troops on the ground are the only ones who are involved in the standoff and there are no more yeah. no induction of troops or there are no more additional induction of or uh, of of uh, forces and escalation so like yes. take also so when that is the mental outlook how many like what is the actual um uh, I want to say viability, but uh, actual uh, credibility when you're talking about a two-front war. Military yeah. planners planning, hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst is one thing. But should we just yes. start believing on such issues where uh, professional military planners or people running the state, as I said, they hope for the best and plan for the worst? Yes. But is that the beyond and end all, and is that the Um, holy, uh, holy text, which everyone is going to follow. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I think, Professor, it's um, it's 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 quite frightening as well. And uh, when we talk about uh, uh, China, uh, uh, China's investments, even in the 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 CPEC in uh, 
Pakistan occupied Kashmir. It's much to India's discomfort, and um, and India might have raised many concerns. And but you know, it's a, uh, it's um, we cannot do much about it. I've I've had to be very blunt. I'll be very blunt about it. We we can't do much about it. But you know, like you talked about the uh, that you know the three nuclear states. So and um, um, I think that you know. as an mtcr member india can raise this matter at its meetings to generate global pressure on china to adhere to the guidelines and make china's membership to the regime conditional on its secession of such new um, of transfers of nuclear technology to pakistan also india needs to use other relevant international forums such as the wasnar agreement and the conference on disarmament to expose and curtail such transfers of nuclear technology more importantly india needs open discussions on the china pakistan nuclear nexus in its parliament so that public knowledge on this issue can be generated and sustained diplomatic action can be taken well um well i just um, answer both the questions when you say about uh, cpec the issue is not cpec the issue is pok as yes. long as the status of pok is not resolved and we don't understand pok cpec is a byproduct of pok if yes. pok changes the status then the cpec issue changes automatically becomes a different ball game when comes yes. the second question about uh, nuclear uh, the nature of relationship between pakistan and china on the nuclear know how uh well honestly it is a dead cause that we are flogging because what the okay. uh, chinese did was that they did not give devices they gave yes. know how so pakistan yes. has got the capability and according to um, a few international um, uh, organizations that observe uh, and study nuclear proliferation both vertical proliferation and horizontal proliferation uh they are claim that pakistan is the world's largest has got the world's largest uh expanding nuclear arsenal and that that nuclear arsenal yes. may be larger than india india's okay so whether yes. you talk about wasnar agreement whether you talk about nsd whether you talk about proliferation whether you talk about ctpt npt it doesn't really matter because the damage has been done yes. uh, so it is done second thing is that okay. all these organization and which is where you must actually understand the today's global situation who's to build yes. the gap yes who's to build the gap because you can say that yes. yeah, on paper x country may be bigger than a uh, y country or a group of xyz can uh, can outweighs the group of abc but the problem is that we are juggling numbers it is not world of yesteryears it was not the era where i was born This is yes. not the eighties. This is not the Cold War. In the Cold War, if the Soviet Union and the United States agreed to something, they yes. pretty much ensure the whole world stood in line and did as told. Yes. Today, even if the P five countries or more than the P five, the entire Security Council, say a group of fifteen countries, desired to do something, and if one lone Norseman says nothing doing, that's that. nothing doing 
the ability yeah. for you to impose your will or the ability to influence country's behavior drastically has got its yeah. limitation it is it is not that in the past we didn't have but in the past we only remember the success stories and not the failures in the present is really the limitations that are in our face and not the capability of actually changing country's behavior so so these are all yeah. structural issues where there's no role uh utility value beyond a point yes so yeah okay i take on the on that issue uh thank you so much sir uh, again and uh, now we should uh, i think uh, move on but this is large, this question you know is largely for the jsi student body um so you know i think and most 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 mostly most all all, all students should definitely you know would be wanting to hear about this why is it important for us as students to explore the china pakistan nexus why a student you should explore china pakistan nexus why should be you know because i personally you know if find it very interesting you know to explore this uh, explore the china pakistan uh, nexus but why why should we actually you know read and you know research more about this well china pakistan nexus to be told is a very important um, example of how the world works hello yes sir i can yeah. hear you so i think there's some minor technical glitch on my end so yeah china pakistan nexus uh, for students of international relationship uh, ir Uh, or even a global affairs in your case is a classic example as to how the world goes. In these seventy years, what role could has China really done to Pakistan? Yes. Social economically, nothing. It has always been the West, uh, US, and its allies that has been funding Pakistan's economy. Yes. Or IMF and World Bank, which is again a post-World War. A uh, creation which is largely, which is basically uh, controlled by the uh, transatlantic allies or um, setup of US and Europe. China economically, what has been the role contribution of, uh, of um, China to Pakistan? Till the turn of this century, the entire military capability of of Pakistan was uh, it started with the British equipment like India, and then it became American equipment. Only in the past, yeah. around the past couple of decades, you have tiny equipment coming. But are they the top mm. state of the art equipment they have? Yes. That's one. BRI has been the first role big money being committed by China. Yeah. But if you really look at the fine print of BRI. Pakistan may not really benefit from it because all the projects okay. are going to be created by the Chinese, by Chinese companies, okay, and by Chinese laborers. So yes. neither Pakistan will get their technical knowledge of uh, of these projects, how to do, how to undertake such uh, big, uh, large scale infra infrastructure development. Nor nor are the citizens going to really benefit. 
and since BRI is still a work under progress, it's a bit too early to predict. But it can trip both ways. It can benefit Pakistan or it can do more damage. Yes. Yet Pakistan um, worships China. Okay. As we said in the past, one of the uh, Pakistani heads of state, uh, the relationship between the two countries is higher than the Himalayas and deeper, deeper than the deepest ocean. Yes. Why? What is the trigger? What is the magic between two of them, between the two of them? But whenever yes. Pakistan has been a problem, when things went bad, it has been US and its cronies that have come to bail out. Okay. Starting from nineteen, starting from nineteen forty-eight. Yes. Because if you take the Kashmir dispute of 1948, when the first uh, conflict, when the first war broke out and the Indian military was on the way to drive on the Rasakas and the two armies confrontated. When yes. India moved in for UN intervention, the resolution was just passed. At that point, when the P5 countries was US, yes. France and uh, Soviet Union. Three of them were almost to be NATO allies. Except for the yes. Soviet. Yes. So since then, the contribution of the West has been much more than China. But why? Yes. And here the issue of uh, the missile and nuclear uh, sensitive technology. Yes. What has been the trickle down effect of these technologies to the larger country? Yes. To the larger economy of the country. Yes. It is not like you having a, say, the Indian space program. It's difficult yes. to directly pinpoint how does it uh, contribute to nation building, but it does. And today, yes. the, the era of uh, telecommunication, which is which is largely dominated by satellites, you find that yes. it contributes to the economy because your entire telecom sector. Yes. And your information. Um, IPC information and, uh, and uh, information technology and communication uh, setup is dominated by satellites and ISRO contributes. But in what way does nuclear weapons contribute or nuclear technology contribute to a nation's development when yes. Pakistan's nuclear power dependency on nuclear power is marginal? Yes. And this is a um, Dichotomy that needs to be really understood. And if someone can figure out, you will understand how they behave and and how countries react or how countries, the world system operates and why it operates. Yes. Yes. So anything more will be almost a full-fledged lecture. So I'll just end at that. I'll just say, raising these uh, thoughts for everyone to ponder over. Yes, sir. definitely. I think um, gonna, uh, a lot of students would be leave them thinking for quite some time because these questions are quite complicated, um, and um, you know they. So, I think um, we're I think we're down to the last question now. That um, you know. That um, regarding the uh, sorry, there's been a bit of a uh, technical snag at my end. Um, this 
so you know yes. now that um, you know we towards the end of our conversation uh, india is now moving closer and closer to the united states of america and um, you know the recent uh, military exercise uh, in the indian ocean region ior do you think that india should put all its eggs in one basket um you know seeing that india has shared a historically shared a very strong multidimensional relationship with russia um and you know seeing russia's uh, increasing uh, cooperation with china so what do you think about that professor well india's relationship with the united states is now more visible and um both uh in terms of empirical data and also in perception with vis-a-vis the way the world looks at it and the way uh, both uh, traditional and non-traditional media portrays it or even other venues portrays the same but if you really look at it is that india's relationship with russia has not deteriorated to the extent that one gets the sense of it because today even today the indian army the indian military is dependent on soviet era and russian equipment the mainstay yes. of the force is uh sukhoi mki sukhoi 30 mki yes very true sir sukhoi and the mig 29s mig 29 mig 29s is a soviet vintage yes a soviet vintage yes very true uh, sukhoi is a russian was purchased from the russian tradition not from the soviet union the mig 21 yes. and the mig 29s uh the entire mids a good a good part of them were inducted into the indian system during the soviet uh, union the days of the soviet yes. union yes and even today if you look at the nature of uh, defense relationship we have when uh, yes. us imports uh, when the us uh, state the united states imposed katsa uh, countering american adversaries through the uh, sanctions which is yes. restricted which basically pinpointed Russia, Iran, and another and a few other countries, and limiting any kind of dealings. Yeah. India has signed for S four hundred missile systems, and yeah. then went to Washington and lobbied for exemptions. Yes. So it is not that we have completely drifted away, but the perception of India moving towards the US is a reality. True. And this, there are a few uh, critical factors which one has to understand. one yeah this is not the world which it was in the past yes in the past so. in the past it was it was two camps and that was it yes you had the warsaw pact and the nato and the world ended over that yes one two for both moscow and washington they saw everything from a political perspective True it was so. it was a ideological war which dominated everything for them that issues yes. of economics or trade or anything else today if you really look at so if you really look at the russian state who is the largest uh, economic partner china who, who are they dependent most on for the economy china china yes so so that changes the dynamics Our, india's largest trading partner is china yes sadly very sadly the largest trading partner is china the country that has got the largest uh, uh, 
uh, holdings of U.S. Treasury point is China, and the U.S. has got the largest trade deficit, or the world's largest trade deficit, is what U.S. owes to China. Yes. So, so given this dynamics, everything is uh, seldom to be everything in totality, but in individual connotations, in installments. Yes. Yes. And uh, Russian to conclusion one. Yes. Uh, so I have we put all our eggs in one basket vis-a-vis -vis US? No, we do. We still have our issues with the uh, US, both bilateral yes. and multilateral. Yes, uh, very true. S four hundred was a clear takeaway, or very our true, engagement with Iran when the very when, true, when the Trump administration administration walked out of uh, JCPOA. Our official statement yes. is unilateral sanctions will not be. Uh, recognized by the Indian state, and we will continue our relationship with Iran. With Iran, very true. Uh, bilaterally on trade, well, that is a bilateral issue. Whether it be H one B visa or trade, that is a bilateral issue. But on multilateral, bilateral. yeah, we but are. The, but the cooperating. role of India, China, India, United States relationship is not as much on hard facts, but also much on global perception. The Chinese believe that India and China, uh, India US relationship is not to benefit the two countries bilaterally, but to yes. but to the detriment of China. Yes, so very true. When you have things like uh, Indo-Pacific forces like Indo-Pacific and and Quad floating around, yes, uh, a lot of people jump into conclusions. Yes, very true. So. So, so 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 we are actually when you really look at whenever you able to reflect back on all the questions, we are living in really interesting times, and this is the Very best true. for students of international relations because there is order, there is chaos, and there is a method to this entire bandness. So it really makes you no know, life interesting and the entire subject very uh, exciting. Thank you. Oh, uh, uh, thank you so much, sir, for taking out uh, your time, uh, taking out time to you know address these questions for the JSI student body at large. I think many students would uh, would really enjoy listening to our conversation and podcast. And I would like to conclude uh, by saying that um, India. Needs to you know start um, focusing. Needs to focus on indigenizing its uh, uh, armed forces and integration of the three forces. We need to start um, manufacturing our own weapons because um, you know uh, with, with that with, we'll be uh, with respect to the armed forces. Yeah, the creating the office of the chief of defense staff is the first step. So yes, the so first step. It's a very good. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's a first step in the right direction. Um, integrating that's very true, sir. We need to start um, uh, indigenizing our weapon systems as well. Like the LCA Tejas uh, is a step, uh, right step, first step in the right direction as well. Um, that's very true, and you know, like we need to start focusing on building our own aircraft carrier as well. And um, you know, uh, whether we like it or not, we are very dependent on China in terms of trade. Like you mentioned, you know the. You see, the Chinese investments in India are, are very shocking, and um, you know 
like i was reading an article the other day there's a firm in um, uh, in the national capital region that even a garbage is being collected by chinese companies it's uh, recycling so you know self reliance is uh, it's a it's a right step in the direction but you know it will take time for the world and for india as well to um um uh, to start of uh, start manufacturing on its own and for being self reliant and uh, with that uh, like with that thought i'd like to leave uh, i'd like to conclude by that with that thought